Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show, sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey and with me is Chase Wilsey. Great to have you here this morning and every Saturday morning talking about your money, the economy, investing and all these things, especially during this difficult time now with the Ukraine war going on, inflation, rising interest rates. We'll talk about that. But Chase, uh, good morning. How you doing? Doing well. There we go. Got to hit the, the button and get button. on there. There we yeah, go. Yeah. Uh, at the uh, game last night, unfortunately, the Padres did not uh, pull it out, but a uh, great game last night. Yeah. Great fun time. Out. I mean, they've gotten off to an okay start. You know, it's uh, good to see him. The, the young pitcher, he was pretty fun to watch. He had an yeah. okay outing. Man, he made some great plays. I mean, that ball comes back at him probably, what, 100 miles an hour? He <laughs> gets caught up like no yeah. problem at all. Yeah, probably a lot faster. It's just like very nonchalant the way he did it. So it was a very, very good. I think he's off to a good start. But uh, Good to have baseball back. Yeah, good to have baseball back and be there in the stadium. And uh, we had some pretty good seats there. So I was happy to, uh, to watch the game. Yep. So, but let's talk about uh, the uh, CPI report that came out this past week. The inflation problem has unfortunately only gotten worse as CPI came in at... 8.5%. This is the highest year-over-year gain since 1981. Uh, there is some good and bad news here. The good news is I do believe inflation will have peaked either in this report or next month's report. The main reason for that is that the year-over-year comparison is getting harder and harder. If you look at the inflation gains in February 2021, the gain was just 1.6%. And in March 2021, it was 2.5%. Yeah, and those were what I would call easy comparisons to see large price gains this year. And the months that followed, price gains really accelerated. As in April 2021, inflation was up two, or excuse me, 4.1 percent, and in May it was up 5 percent. As we lap these higher price gains, the 2022 inflation numbers could be reduced compared to the levels seen the past couple of months. The bad news is the keyword is reduced. So not inflation's going anywhere. Right. We're just gonna have a reduced level, as I believe we could still see numbers in the six to seven percent range. The main reason for the elevated cost, employers are having to pay that will continue to work their way through the supply chain. So all these costs that are being passed on the employers, these mm -hmm. companies, those will likely continue to come on down the supply chain, work their way through there to the consumers. Now, these costs that I'm discussing, well, they can really be seen in the recent PPI data, producer price index is what that's known as, that showed a record 11.2% gain compared to last year. And again, I just got to say it, unfortunately, inflation appears to be here to stay. And when you think about those numbers, and again, inflation is here to stay, but uh, when you say 11.2%, that means that the price of producer price goods, which is what it is, if it stayed at that pace, uh, it would double in about probably five and a half years, maybe six years. Yeah. Uh, so, so again, if you were, I don't know, I can't think about uh, an item that the producer would have, like, uh, we'll just say maybe 
meat. That's not a producer, but but that, I mean that's a pretty big deal. It's not as you said that we don't see it staying that way. It just can't. And and the the main culprit of this whole thing has been the price of energy, yeah. which appears to be it's it's kind of peaked out. So we we think we see a slowdown here. Uh, speaking of that, comparisons of our current inflation to the late seventies, in my opinion, is not the same. From seventy four. To 79, the consumer price index was 8.1%. However, unemployment was 7.9%. Recent unemployment just released as 3.6%. Also, people had less money available in 1975. The money supply was $914 billion. And today, $21 trillion. Yeah, the, the big difference here is that while we are paying higher prices, People have jobs and money to pay for more expensive goods. If we can produce more goods, including oil, this will meet the demand and bring down prices. This will not happen next week, but I believe by the end of the year, we will be in a much better financial situation. And if the Federal Reserve does not push too hard and too quickly on rising interest rates, we may be able to avoid a recession in 2023. It won't be easy, but it is doable. And Chase, one thing that uh, I, I was saying, like you don't you don't see the reports of a hundred ships off the coast of L.A. can't get unloaded and so forth. What has me a little bit concerned now is the China shutdown because of their COVID situation, and and, and it's kind of amazing they're trying to eradicate COVID. That's not going to happen. So I don't know what the Chinese are doing, but that is going to start hurting the supply chain again if they don't turn their factories back on. Yeah, and, and I mean, talk about China. You talk about. Europe. I, I, we talked about the PPI. I was looking at uh, industrial production in Europe, and because they got so much energy from Russia, right. I mean, the prices there have just skyrocketed for energy. The industrial production PPI there for companies, 30% compared Ooh. to last year. So again, right. we're looking here at the United States and saying, oh, you know, our, our inflation is pretty bad here. It is. But we, unfortunately, are not a production country. And, and Europe, isn't necessarily either, but we still trade with Europe. So my point being here is China's having issues with the shutdown. Europe's having these huge in issues with energy costs. That's going to have a big impact on import prices right. because those companies producing goods there, well, they're going to need to sell them for higher costs to us here in the United States as well. So you're going to see just not inflation on U.S.-based products, but also all across the world as well. And I'm wondering too, and I, I, I like Porsche, Mercedes, I think Audi. I, I don't believe they have American factories. Maybe they do. I, I don't know. But I mean, I think most of those cars still come across the the the, uh, the the ocean here. And if they're producing them over there with that high energy cost, those price of those cars have to increase uh, quite a bit. Producing them there with the high energy. What about shipping them across the yeah, ocean? Shipping them across <laughs> the ocean can't yeah. be cheap. And, and then I talked to. It's like, well, I know that we're trying to send them liquefied natural gas, which is a great thing. I believe you said Germany doesn't have any storage over there to storage. Yeah, they, they don't have the same storage terminals, the capacity right. quite yet. So, I mean, the, it, it's a problem. You know, you, you can't just, you know, f we've said it before, flip a switch and all of a sudden, oh, it's so solved. You know, it, it stems from this long lack of an investment cycle. Right. And it, it's, it's going to take a, several months to years to actually resolve this issue. And I can't believe that Europe, I mean, they really stumbled. They, they never should have depended on Russia. They, they should have had all other alternatives. They've really put themselves in a very difficult situation, which we don't get a lot of exports, I don't believe, from them. I mentioned the Porsche, the Mercedes and stuff. There's probably other things we get from them. The Airbus. Uh, 
Oh, the Airbus. Um, maybe it's good for Boeing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, maybe wine from France. Um, but but uh, most of it does come from Asia, as our, our yeah. uh, imports come from. But it, it, it's just a shame for Europe. Now we do have uh, some companies that we know that do sales in Europe, although they're beverage companies, and maybe they'll be maybe, maybe they'll do better because people are so fed up they just keep drinking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what they always say: <laughs> alcohol kind of recession proof. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, <laughs> have a bad day. Yeah, okay. I'll I'll just have a. Coors Light. <laughs> Coors Light. <laughs> you kind of just gave away the name of the company. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's all right. Um, but I, I, I do think, too, I mean, it's, it's the Fed is in a really difficult spot right now right. because you talk about not raising rates too quickly. Well, they have to raise rates somewhat quickly. So the, there's this happy medium. And, and, and the huge problem that I still see is supply chains not fixed. So a lot of this inflation is driven from the supply side of the equation and, you know, not being able to produce the goods, as we said. So part of me thinks that the Fed has to raise rates, but again, they need to watch it because by them raising rates, that's not going to fix the supply chain. Right. Right. That's one of the big issues with with the inflation. Now, we know the other big issue is all the money in the economy. That's creating inflation as well. That's where the Fed needs to kind of step in. But it's, it's, I'm glad I'm not part of the Fed. It's a tough balancing act because if they do cause a recession, they're going to get blamed for it. If inflation doesn't go away, they're going to get blamed, blamed for it. For it. <laughs> right. And I still agree. I believe her last name is Boehner. Uh, I forget her first yeah. name. Layle, I think her name Layola. is. Yeah, Layle. Yeah, Layle, something. Uh, and anyways, I, where she said we need to start selling on the longer end to, to reduce our balance sheet, which I think is the way to go because that's going to hit longer term interest rates, which I think would be better than trying to uh, push up on the short-term interest rates because I, I, uh, we don't want to flatten the, the yield curve. And that right now, it's, it's kind of a little bit better, but I, I want to have them start selling assets on the longer term to raise. And w- that means, in my opinion, we, we could see the 10-year note maybe get to, I would say maybe three and a half if they start doing that, which would be difficult for mortgages, yeah. difficult for the housing market. But the housing market was very, very hot. I think we are seeing signs. That's cooling down a little bit. But uh, I, I think that's the way to go. But um, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. So let's move on to uh, retail sales because I was quite disappointed with the retail sales number uh, this past week. Although the uh, March number climbed 0.5% compared to the previous month and rose 6.9% compared to March 2021, this number did not keep up with the inflation rate of the 8.5%. Retail spending is not adjusted for inflation, so this shows me cracks in the consumer confidence to spend on discretionary items may be starting to show. It is especially concerning when you look at the spending at gas stations was up 37% compared to last year, and spending at grocery stores, well, that was up about 9.5% as those areas continue to be hit hard by inflation. Yeah, some areas that are considered discretionary really struggled in the month. This includes, I was shocked by this, electronics and appliance stores down 9.7% compared to last year. And also, too, non-store retailers, your, your online shopping, that was up only 1.8%. And again, you, you take it into the fact of all the inflation that we've seen, the amount of shopping really probably declined quite substantially year over year because, you know, it just looks at the total sales volume that occurred that includes the high prices. So that that's a number that, that's quite concerning. And we've now seen two month-over-month month declines on the online shopping. Uh, that's definitely something I'm going to keep an eye on. Now, one bright spot for discretionary spending continue to be food services and drinking places as retail sales there were up 
19.4%. Overall, there are some concerns in this report. But again, just remember, it is just one month. It's nothing to panic about. Right. I am very curious to see if next month's report will produce the same issues. You know, let's talk about the uh, online uh, sales up only 1.8%. Uh, we got to remember too that, and we talked about this uh, with COVID and stuff. That yeah, they, they they went way up. So we talk about the bigger numbers. Kind of talked about that with inflation. Um, that yeah, you're not going to have that big growth because the number's so much bigger. And we know that people were waiting to get out of their home, go shopping and stuff. So I think the retail online uh, sales for the retail side did come down because people said, no, I want to go out to the mall. Uh, and I I've, I've been to the mall and different stores. And like they're they are packed. Uh, with, with people, so I think that's the, the reason. I think that big base there, you know, high number there, and people saying, I'm gonna go out as opposed to just sit at home and order something. Well, yeah, it's a good point to look at, and you look at like department stores, that was up 7.4%. You look at clothing and clothing accessory stores up 7.3%, so that was outpacing the uh, online shopping, so I think you're right. I think that is a component of maybe the reduced number, and again, People always forget about having to compare against, well, what happened last year? You right. know, <laughs> if you're laughing at difficult comparison, it, it's hard to grow upon that. And I think, as you said, with COVID, you just really had all that demand pulled forward for the online type businesses. And, and, and actually, too, I, the electronics and appliance stores, I'm wondering if that has to do something with the housing market because appliances, I mean, if you're not, and the trend of housing, I don't think it's, it's I think it's slowed down. It's not gone down yet, but I'm wondering appliances, if that's been the, the big thing slowing down. Um, and, I, and I still heard it takes, so, because we're gonna be moving our office, and a buddy of mine who moved their office, he goes, yes, it still took me like four months to get the furniture. So maybe that's a supply chain issue there. Maybe part uh, of uh, housing slowing down, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if you look at some of the housing, other housing kind of dominated markets, Speaking of furniture, that was up 3.6% year over year. So oh, okay. that's okay. But again, that's still not keeping up with inflation. And then also you look at like building materials and garden equipment. This is kind of concerning. And I think this is one reason if you look at like Lowe's and Home Depot, they've really struggled this year. But uh, that sector for building materials and garden equipment, that was only a 0.6% compared to last year. So there's a lot of things. And this is why I said it was so concerning with the gas and the, the uh, food. Mm-hmm. As you back those out, the number really was even more concerning. And, and it's funny. Oh, and, and by the way, uh, phone numbers, uh, we're going to open the phone lines, 833-288-0973. As always, get you through for that unbiased, no strings attached. Formal opinion about what you what you want to talk about, uh, again, 833-288-0973. You brought up uh, Home Depot and Lowe's. I think Lowe's in a much better position. I mean, when I've looked at Lowe's in the past, the valuations weren't that bad, but Home Depot. I mean, again, great business, but very high valuations. I want to say that their 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 Ford PE was still around twenty three, twenty five, and and people just don't understand. Like, oh, it's Home Depot. That's great. That's not the norm. The the average is around sixteen to seventeen. Are you gonna look it up? What yeah, you I was just, I was gonna look up and see how the stock's done this year. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure it's down. And 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 I was listening to uh, something from Peter Lynch this past week. And like, well, and, and investors say, unfortunately, well, how much lower can it go? I mean, it, it was at, and you go give me the numbers, it was 300, now it's, you know, 225, how much lower can it go? Well, <laughs> it can go lower. Did you get the numbers? Yeah, so Home Depot actually hit a high of $420 a oh. share. Uh, right now it's at 304. So okay. uh, year to date, 
start of the year around 410, it's down over 25%. Yeah. Uh, it looks like the PE on the trailing 12 months though is 19.6. So it's still not cheap. I right. mean, it, it's not as expensive as it was, um, but I just, I, I don't see the same earnings growth that they were having going forward. And I, I could be mistaken, but I, I think again, they had that huge COVID boom. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if again, people are gonna be spending as much on remodeling their homes and, and doing things of that nature. Yeah, and gardening. I mean, we got the summer coming up and they start gardening like, well, uh, done that already. And and uh, also too, it, it could be a, a difficult thing. And we've said this with these growth type companies, which Home Depot fell in that category, is that when that growth starts slowing down or unfortunately reversing, that stock can fall quite a bit. And uh, I, I mean, you could see uh, Home Depot just throwing out numbers here around 200, uh, which would be half of the high. And uh, people say, oh, well, how could that happen? It's Home Depot. They, they just have to look at history. Uh, and, and, and I, from Peter Lynch, who's talking about Taco Bell. And yep. he goes, Taco Bell, and I forget the exact numbers, but he goes, it was a great business. And they were doing well, they had no debt, and the stock just, just fell and fell and fell. And it, it, it just it, it can happen because that that sentiment changes, changes. on those stocks. So uh, let's talk about the uh, Russia Ukraine uh, fertilizer situation because <laughs> this is a pretty interesting talk. Uh, we talk about uh, how the Russia Ukraine situation has impacted the energy markets, but is also having a major impact on fertilizer. Russia and Belarus. Uh, Belarus. Belarus. That's right. Belarus provided about forty percent of the world's exports of potash which is used in fertilizer, and Russia and Ukraine report 28% of fertilizers made with nitrogen and phosphorus, phosphorus, as well as potassium. This has caused a major price spike in potash. Traded in Vancouver was priced at about $210 per metric tons at the beginning of 2021, and was recently valued at $565, also denting the supply of uh, fertilizers, the price of natural gas, which is a component of this production process. Yeah, and if you look in North America, fertilizer producers are paying somewhere around five to six dollars per million British thermal units for natural gas, and, and that's the way that you you look at it. It's not like a barrel of oil; they look at it per million <laughs> British thermal unit. Yep. Is the name of it? BTUs, another name, easier to to kind of say. But you compare that again to Europe. As I said earlier, they're having big, big problems there. And how bad are those problems? Well, European producers are paying between 35 and $38 per million British thermal units for the natural gas. That makes it extremely hard to produce this fertilizer profitably. The higher cost of fertilizer then impacts farmers growing cop- crops, and then they must increase prices for you know corn or wheat or whatever right. it may be, those, those fertilizer-dependent type crops. Those increasing prices are then passed on to the feedstock for animals, which is increasing the cost for different things like cattle. And I, I just gotta say, maybe it isn't these food companies' faults for raising prices, but in fact stems from the supply chain problems. This is also just another case showing the importance of producing energy like natural gas as it impacts so many areas of the economy. And people say too, like soybeans, I guess, don't require as much fertilizer. I'm not a farmer, so I'm not an expert here, which right. is something I was reading. But then the problem is these the demand for soybeans goes up because they're oh, okay. I don't I don't need fertilizer for that. So now the demand goes way up for soybeans. That increases the price there. There's a huge issue that is now revolving around <laughs> fertilizer. Right, and I like to send this to Washington because, like, you know what, guys, come on. This whole thing stems around energy, oil, 
and, and, and again, I know we want to be green down the road. No one wants to pollute the skies and, and, and die of you know lung disease because our skies are so full, but you can't turn the switch off and wait years for a, 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 you know clean energy to come. You've got to do it on a normal basis, and, and we've got to turn those pumps back on uh, because it affects so many things. And, and again, the fertilizer, who would think like, well, how, what does that have to do with energy? Well, just kind of told you. And it just, it affects so many things. And, and we talk about how uh, oil, petroleum is used in hundreds of different products. And that's really been, in, in my opinion, what really has caused this major inflation. And, and I want to talk politics here, but had we not turned things off the way we did, um, I don't think we'd be in this situation at all. Yeah, I, I mean, oil, don't get me wrong, oil prices, gas prices still would have gone up, yeah. but I, I don't think you would have seen the $100 per barrel number. Yeah, so, all right, phone number is 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's head up to Oceanside and speak with Joe. Joe, you're in the Smart Vegetable, Brent Chase. How can we help you? E-commerce is down, huh? Is that why UPS and FedEx is... Going down? <laughs> it's not down. It's just slowing. Slowing. Yes. <laughs> well, well but, uh, the transports are down definitely. <laughs> I, I think they're getting hit more from the energy spike because I, I don't think they've been able to offset that price with surcharges quite yet. And then also, don't forget about the labor problem they have as well. So that they they've got some headwinds there on both both sides. So. Yep. I think UPS, um, you know, sets their gas like the airlines do. You know, they buy it. Uh, you know ahead of time stuff you know when it's cheaper and stuff they'll hedge a portion of it I, yeah. i've seen but uh it's still they don't they normally don't hedge the full thing yeah. so they're, they're still they have their own right. gas pumps <laughs> yeah but yeah but they got to buy the oil and what they do is they, they buy um uh option contracts to hedge that so to make sure that they they lock in that price uh, but it's only, I'm going to guess, about 25, 30, 30%. Well, and then they have gas, and then they have aviation fuel, which is a different oh, yeah. blend as well. So That's right. So it's, it's, uh, it's a tough business. Yeah, very tough. How can we help you out, Joe? Well, I wanted to talk about JPM because yeah. they're down. All the banks are down. You know, there's several things that are kind of down. And and, and, and do you A lot of things are, aren't down as bad, so it's it's kind of crazy. But you got to go for the easier stuff now, the safer stuff. Yeah. And, and do you hold it? Are you thinking now is the time to buy it? What, what's your thought there? Oh, no, I've had a better price than this, but I still think it's a probably a decent price to make a little money off of it. Okay. Well, well let's talk about uh, J.P. Morgan Chase. Their symbol is JPM. They are in the bank's diversified industry. Only 0.5% is short. Uh, institutional ownership, uh, 72%. I thought that would be higher, but uh, yeah, 72%. Uh, the P.E. ratio is still very attractive, 9.4. It is above the industry at 7.4. Uh, just to let you know, the S&P 500 is at 23.5. We do see uh, price to sales is a 3.2, also above the industry at 2.2. Price to book value, 1.9. That's tangible book value. Uh, that's below the industry at 3.7. And price to cash flow, 4.9 versus 2.6. And a, a good pay ratio for J.P. Morgan, 1.6. That's better than the industry at 2.2. Now their earnings and uh, are these uh, these are not updated numbers yet because the company we, we use they actually do wait for the audited numbers to actually come out, not just the preliminary numbers come out. But we do see that uh, earnings per share were up at twenty one point nine percent, not quite as good as the industry up thirty three point one. Sales were down one point four percent, but industry down three point one. There's a five year estimated growth on the earnings uh, from the analysts of seven point two percent. 
also not quite as good as the industry. I, I would be kind of curious what's in that industry. I think it is the major big banks there, but I'm not sure if they have other smaller banks in there as well. Uh, talk about the dividend, 3.2% uh, yield. They only use 24.7% of their earnings to pay that out. They have uh, paid that dividend for well over 10 years with a five-year growth on a dividend of 14.9%. Uh, they have a buyback yield of 5%. That's positive versus the industry at 3.2. On the balance sheet, debt to equity 1.6 versus 1.8. Banks do a little bit different uh, accounting on the balance sheet. We do see that the uh, net profit margin 39.7, better than the industry at 32.1. And then return to equity 15.8 versus 11.6. Jace, what do you got going forward? There's a current price here for JPM, $126.12, 52-week high, $172.96. So there's that pullback you, you're talking about there, Joe. 52-week low, $125.02. So it is trading near that 52-week low. Year-to-date, down 19.3%. And I do know that they announced a stock buyback or their board authorized a buyback program for $30 billion. Their market cap about three hundred seventy billion. I'm not sure what the time frame is on right. that buyback plan, but it's close to ten percent. You yeah. know, <laughs> that, that's a, a big demand for the stock. And I mean, I I, I just like the way the company's run. I, I mean, they're very shareholder friendly. I'm curious, you know, what the Fed stress test is going to look like. If they're going to increase their dividend more as well, that that's you know just another benefit to these bank stocks. Is they're they're very friendly when it comes to buybacks and, and paying those dividends. So that's something to keep an eye on, especially if you look at the valuations on this company. Now, it's just tremendous. I mean, you go out to December 2023, the estimates for $12.48 would give you a target sell price of $207.17. So that's looking very strong again compared to that current price of 126 I mean, it trades at a forward PE of about 10 I mean, that, that's a phenomenal valuation with a nice dividend. You get a great CEO in Jamie Dimon. Uh, there's just a, a lot of positives here with this business. And a couple of things too, Joe. I mean, the, those uh, estimates are pretty tight. They're not like a wide range. So that, that number you gave out for the uh, estimates is good. Also, what I like seeing it is higher than 2022. So, I mean, it is increasing. It is doing all the right things. Uh, I, I love when Jamie Dimon talks. I mean, the things he says. And he doesn't worry about the short term. He doesn't worry about the small stuff. He goes, look, we're going to grow the business. We're going to take out, we're going to increase market share. We're going to be okay. I, I, you know, maybe we have a recession, maybe we don't. He goes, well, we're going to grow the business. And that's what he focuses on, which we can see in those numbers. So you are buying a business or holding a business as, as you do, that does have increasing earnings going forward, which is what you want. And so. I think a lot of these banks are getting hit hard because they're comparing to last year's numbers. And, and don't get me wrong, the earnings this year don't look that good. Yeah. Because what's happening is year over year, 2022, they're looking at, uh, earnings per share estimate of eleven dollars and seventeen cents. That's about twenty seven percent. But the reason it's down is because last year they were basically getting all of those write downs that they had yeah. to take. Well, they were actually taking those off the books. That came on as kind of income that it wasn't real income. It was just accounting. But now the numbers that you're comparing, it's like, oh my gosh, earnings are down twenty percent. What's going on? This company's terrible. It's just the accounting of it. It's not the way that the business is run you're now having a normalized balance sheet loan portfolio for these banks. But I think a lot of investors that don't understand the accounting of banks are, oh, it's down, I better sell, get out. I think it, it's a great opportunity now. And I believe they did take a small write down, I believe on credit cards. I think they put it aside a little bit for credit cards. In Russia. In Russia, yeah, that's what it was. So, and again, Russia is not gonna be, in my opinion, around by 2023. And it was a 
small write down. Small write down. So it's a few it, hundred million dollars for a <laughs> trip, yeah, you know? yeah. And and that could like oh they're they're right down Russia. Yeah, you know. So uh, I mean this is part of investing and and Joe you've been investing for a while. I mean you, you go through these peaks and valleys. Right now in the valley. Uh, which is a good time to say, is this a good business? Yes. Are the earnings growing? Yes. Do they have, you know, a good product? And also too, think about that maybe the housing market will slow down, but also Jamie Dimon talked about how the balance sheets for companies are so strong that they will start borrowing. So I think we'll see the commercial side kind of carry what they may lose on the on the retail side. So so I, I, I like the business. Uh, the only thing that does scare me is that uh, we do like Jamie Dimon, and if something happens to him, I don't know, that, that would worry me a little bit. But uh, we like the company. Yeah, I thought the banks were down pretty good, and I, I was just wondering how much lower can it go? I mean, because it's, it's down pretty low. I mean, I would buy in right now if I had extra cash, but I kind of, you know, I'm kind of all in right now, so... I, you know, I feel pretty good with what I have, so I'm not really worried. But yeah, but as a consumer, hey, I'm spending. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people are. You go out and and what is the other day? I mean, the freeway was packed with people. Like, what is going on here? I mean, so so people still have, and we talk about this. People have a lot of money. They've got a job. They've got uh, you know, if they don't if they don't want the job, they can get another job pretty easily. The consumer, while I think they, they are concerned about inflation, rising interest rates, they still have money. Uh, and you go to restaurants and bars and stuff. And and last night the stadium, I don't think there was one empty seat, was there? I mean, there are some in the, the higher up seats that uh, or the way up higher yeah, seats. Yeah, but I I mean, it was packed. Right. And I had a friend that went on opening day, packed. packed. And you know, it's just downtown's packed. And yeah. you know, it's it's something that if we were really hurting, you wouldn't see that type of yeah excitement i guess yeah i think we at the point where people complain about it but they still spend yep. and, and that's what we kind of need and i think they have that money so joe we like it stay with it don't don't panic on it yet all ready sounds good sounds good uh, thank you guys all right good time to have a good one bye-bye all right that opens the phone line 833-288-0973 that's 833-288-0973 uh, we got a company here, Chase, that uh, somebody want to know about. Uh, let's see, where is it? Uh, uh, wondering why the company seems strong, but stock underperforms and analyst outlook is negative. The stock is a C, C spine, I guess. Yeah, it's a Carl, Carlsbad company. Carlsbad company, okay. Yeah. Uh, symbol S P N E. Let's take a look at that. Uh, we got a, one thing when we read them, it takes a little bit longer to uh, put it in here. So uh, S P N E, make sure I put that in right. Um, and, medical uh, device company. Oh, okay. And, and, and that sometimes can be very well because it's something needed. You know, and medical, we talk about this all the time, how it's improving uh, not just the drugs, but the medical devices. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to look at this. Again, the company is C-Spine Holdings, uh, symbol is S-P-N-E. Uh, float 2.1%, institutional ownership 76.2%. Doggone it. Uh, no P-E ratio, which means the last 12 months, no earnings uh, versus the industry at 59 uh, price of sales, 1.9 versus 4.9. That's good. Price to book value, 2.1. Very good compared to the industry at 47.3. That is the price of tangible book value, by the way. Unfortunately, no peg ratio going forward. Uh, no earnings over the last 12 months. Uh, sales over the last 12 months were up 19.5%, better than the industry at 12.7. Uh, they do not pay a dividend. Taking a look at the balance sheet, current ratio, 3.7 versus 2.8, so some good liquidity there. Like this number, 
debt to equity zero versus 0.5 for the industry. So the company has no debt, big positive there. Net profit margin, not good, a negative 28.4 versus a positive 12. Return to equity, a negative 17.4 versus 14. Um, yeah, what do we got? Anything going forward? <laughs> yeah, so looking at what this company does too, they, they actually design, develop, and commercial uh, part of the commercialization of surgical solutions for the treatment of patients suffering from spinal disorders. I was going to say that, <laughs> that must be what sense. it was with a C spine yeah. in there. Yes. Yeah. So, but they do operate in several markets: North America, Europe, Asia Pacific, and Latin America. I, I'm kind of surprised I've never heard of this company. So it's just right up the street here yeah. in Carlsbad. Yeah. But uh, one thing that I did want to point out, I don't think you pointed out the buyback yield for this company. It's a uh, negative 23.2%. That means they've been issuing a ton of stock. Yeah. And I did see one of the uh, warning signs for this business is high stock-based compensation. So they may be paying people a lot in stock-based stock. compensation, which is really diluting the shareholders. That's something I'd be very, very cautious on. If I do look at the current price here for C-Spine, though, it's at $10.74, 52-week high, $22.78. Oh, gosh, right now it's 52-week low of $10.66. Year-to-date down 21.1%. It is a pretty small company here at just $395 million. So that's something you, you got to be cognizant of. If I go out to December 2023, though, I, I'm quite shocked. There's six analysts that actually fall. That's a lot of analysts for a company that's under a billion, under $500 million for that matter. But the downside... It's not positive earnings, so can't derive a target sell price. This company, I, I, I'm speculating here, yeah. it could be a, a big hit or a big miss. They may have different products that they're working on in development where perhaps they get approved and all of a sudden the stock just goes way up. But if those products don't get approved, you could have some major, major issues with C-spine. And I'm not sure what they do, but I mean, I know that as people get older, their spine does deteriorate, uh, the vertebrae start, you know, so you have problems. So if that's what they're working on, I mean, I know a lot of people now that are starting to get surgery on their their, their spine because I, I guess that it starts pinching the nerves and, and everything else. So if that's what they're working on, big thing going forward. And th these are things I talk about how, how much better people say, oh, I don't know how much longer I'm going to live. There's so many things going on in the medical field that's going to improve our life and I think make us live much longer and much happier. Uh, because I've seen some people that are kind of, you know, hunched over from the spine. If they can fix that, it's going to be, be be much better. So. Yeah. I mean, I say definitely an interesting company. I, I don't know much about it yet, but definitely um, interesting business. But it's just, it doesn't fit into the value type philosophy. Yep. So, all right. Phone number is 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Uh, Daniel and La Mesa and Carol and Dana Point, uh, stay with us. I, I, I do want to talk to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Uh, Harrison, you there with us? Yes, I am. How's it going, guys? Well, it's, it's going good. I, I, I got to ask this question because you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. Your, your topic, taxes <laughs> changes, tax changes when getting married. Is it pro or negative to get married? What are you going to say here, Iverson? <laughs> <laughs> so um, right now I'm in Montana because I'm going to a wedding today, and I thought it'd be kind of fun just to talk about the, the tax repercussions of that, good and negative. Okay, um, good. So when you get married, there are four different things that – could potentially hurt your tax situation. The first is um, if you have two people that are both high income earners, meaning they make over now say $650,000 a year and they get married, 
that's going to cause their taxes to go up. And the reason is the tax system is bracketed. If they were single, they could um, stay in a 35% bracket, but if they get married the way that the tax code is written, they actually get bumped up into the 37% bracket. So that's one thing. If you have two, two high income earners, the second thing there is, um, there's a provision with a certain type of student loans where if you work for, um, like a nonprofit or a government agency for 10 years and you are on an income based repayment plan, that student loan will be forgiven after those 10 years, no matter what the balance is and the income payments or the payments that you make are based off your income. So if your income is relatively low, you're not making very much. And if you get married, now your income goes up because you have a spouse um, that can cause your monthly payments to go up, causing you to pay more money toward that student loan. So that's the second thing. Third thing, um, with rental properties, if you have losses on rental properties, um, you can deduct those losses. However, once your AGI or modified adjusted gross income reaches $100,000, you start to get phased out on how much you're able to deduct. That goes whether you file single or married. So um, with married, it's a lot easier to have a higher income. So when people, sometimes when they get married, they run into issues with uh, being able to deduct losses on the rental properties. That's the third thing. And the fourth thing, there are some situations where if you are retired and collecting Social Security and then you get married, um, now your income is going to be a little bit higher. That can cause a little bit more of your Social Security to become taxable. So those are four different situations that you want to watch out for. However, all four of those situations are not really that common. Um, They don't impact most people. In fact, for most people, getting married is actually a good thing, especially if you have two people that are in different tax brackets, because essentially what happens when you get married, the lower earning spouse can share their lower tax bracket with the higher earning spouse and then bring down the total effective tax rate. So I would say the majority of people it either doesn't change their tax situation or it benefits them, except for the, the four situations that I, that I talked about at the beginning. So are you saying that if you're single, go out and look for somebody who's earning less? <laughs> or, <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> well, I mean, there's and, and, pros and cons to that, right? Obviously, more money is better than less money. <laughs> and, and Harrison, when people come into your office, do you give them marriage advice as well? Like you should get married, you shouldn't because of your tax bracket or, or what? <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I am. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we just a little bit, but but it's so true. I mean, it's it just, this is again where I was talking about you being a true financial planner. These are things that you discuss with people. And, and, and again, you're just giving them the real numbers as opposed to saying, oh, well, you know, just invest this money and, you know, pay me a fee and or give me a commission, I'm, I'm done. These are things you want to look at before maybe you get married if there's different things. And again, love is very important, but you still want to know what you're getting into before you do it maybe as well. Well, also, I've had some situations where people wanted to get married but didn't because they thought it would hurt their situation. And then, you know, we looked at everything and it was actually a good thing. So then they were able to get married. So you just want to look at the numbers because in many cases, like I said, it can't be helpful. Right, and, and again, the, the one that surprises me is the real estate, uh, how low the AGI was. I think you said 100000 which is not very high. Yeah. And it doesn't yeah. change mm-hmm. when you get married. It doesn't like, that's kind of like the marriage penalty I, I, they talked about before. Yeah. We're like, well, sorry, mm-hmm. you both have rental properties. Uh, you're both making 90000 a year and you deduct it. Well, now you're making one eighty. dollars oh, Sorry, you're out of luck now. 
Wow, that's, that could be a big Exactly. Deal. Yeah, so. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's why very important to talk to your financial planner. Uh, you're the guy that we recommend. You're at our office. So, Harrison, thank you very much. I know you're back in Montana for a wedding, so uh, enjoy the wedding, and uh, we'll see you on Monday. All right, thanks, guys. We'll see you on Monday. All right, have a good one. Bye-bye. Again, it's our financial planner. He is a CFP, Harrison Johnson. You want to uh, talk to him, give him a call at the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. You can also go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Uh, you can set up for a free consultation with him to see uh, what a true financial planner does. All right, let's go back to the phones here. 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go to La Mesa and speak with Daniel. Daniel, you're on the Smart Investor with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, Palantir, PLTR, what are your thoughts about Palantir and what direction do you think it's headed? And uh, I have a pretty big... Uh, position in it had an average cost of $12.24 per share, thousand shares. I'm trying to let it ride okay. to go over back to $20 per share. But uh, what are your thoughts about Palantir and where do you think it's headed? And you said uh, pretty big position uh, percentage wise, your portfolio, how, how much does it make up? Uh, well, I got hit hard on the um, gross stocks since November, uh -huh. uh, like a lot of Listeners, so currently, uh, I'd say it's probably about a thirty percent, thirty thirty percent of my portfolio. Okay. Um, I know that's probably higher than you would <laughs> want to advise, but I have conviction in Palantir, and I think that you know there's a good buying opportunity. So I wanted to get your thoughts about you know what your what you think about the company okay. over the next year or two, and, and how you think. And you're right, the 30%, yeah, the 30 is a little bit uncomfortable for us, but let's take a look at the company. Uh, again, the company is Palatier Technology Symbol, P-L-T-R. Uh, they are in the industry of software infrastructure. Kind of a high float on the short side, about 6.6. .6. It's not super high, but it is kind of above what I would call the normal. And institutional ownership is only 34.5. So that tells me there's a lot of individual investors that can move this stock maybe the wrong direction. So be careful of that. They do not have a P.E. ratio, means no earnings over the last 12 months. Industry is at 58.2. Price of sales expensive, 15.5 versus 8.7. Uh, price to book value, 11 versus over 100 for the industry. And price of cash flow also expensive, 71 versus 27.5. Now they do have a good peg ratio, and that's the P.E. divided by growth. Tells you how much you're paying for the future growth of that company. That looks good, 1.5 versus 6.4. Now, I do not see any earnings over the past one year, five years. They're not growing the earnings, so they're still negative there. I do see on the sales, they were up 28% over the past year, and the industry was up only 19.1, so that's a good number. Uh, they do not pay a dividend. Let's take a look at the balance sheet here. Nice current ratio, 4.3 versus 3.6. Debt to equity also looks good, 0.1 versus 1.4. And then net profit margin, not good negative 33.7%, the industry is 18.5. Return to equity also is a negative 22.7 versus a positive 20, uh, I'm sorry, positive 44.9. So not good numbers here. Uh, Chase, I don't know what they have going forward. Why don't you tell us there? Yeah, and I, I, I'm familiar with this company. When they, they IPO'd here 
say recently, but I think it was yeah. maybe a couple, a couple years, years ago, ago now. Was, yeah. But uh, the, the thing that I look at is it's a software company, and people liked it when it came out because software as a service was growing in popularity because the recurring revenue and so forth. I'm not too sure exactly what the company does or what this means. It provides organizations with solutions to manage large uh, disparate data sets in an attempt to gain insight and drive operational outcomes. So I think they're trying to... Uh, kind of data-driven to help operational efficiency at companies. Uh, I don't know what their contracts look like, who they work with. It looks like they do work with government intelligence and defense sectors as well. So that's a pretty sound business to generally work with. It's I mean, what I'm going to call safe revenue. Right. But uh, I, I would just want to know a little bit more about their model and who their, their customers are. The other thing I want to say, too, on the short side, it's negative and positive because if you have a high short, what happens if you get into a short squeeze? That thing can pop real quick. True. But if more shorts pile in, it goes the opposite no, way no, and it way. goes down <laughs> quite quite quickly. And also, too, this is another company that has high compensation or high stock-based compensation, which could be diluting those shareholders. So something to watch out here for, Daniel. Current price for Palantir, Thank though. Thank you for the input. No worries. No worries. Uh, current price for Palantir, $12.42. 52 week high really falling off that level of $29.29. $29. The low nine dollars and seventy four cents year to date return down thirty one point eight percent. Now, if I go out to December two thousand twenty three, I see estimated earnings per share of twenty six cents. What gives a target sell price of four dollars and thirty two cents? So this still fits into a growth stock, and uh, again, we're value investors here. It's not a value company. It is still that growth stock, and as those interest rates continue to rise, I I, I am still concerned with stocks like this. And also, I think this uh, was one of those hot companies that came mm-hmm. out. Anybody really liked it? Like, oh, they piled into it. Uh, I also do notice on the range of those earnings, they are pretty wide as well. Looks about almost a, a 40% range there. So, I mean, you do have a lot of risk uh, two ways here. Uh, Daniel, you've got the risk on the high concentration at 30%, plus this company has a lot of risk to it as well. Uh, do you know what the company does? We don't know exactly what their software does. Do you know, Daniel? Yeah, it's like, it's it's data-driven uh, for mainly used by like the FBI and large government agencies. I guess it uh, uses artificial intelligence to like simplify the data. So I know they have two main uh, uh, things that they're selling, but, but yeah, their main business revenue, like you had mentioned, is a uh, government contract. So I know they are also used like internationally based, mm-hmm. not just here in America. Um, and I also know about the you know high employee compensation for stocks or for for shares uh, for employee shares, but I do believe they announced in their last earnings they're not going to be uh, you know diluting their their shares as much for their employees as they were uh, in the last two years. So, uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you guys. I know it's definitely a high conviction play, but high risk. <laughs> um, I have a, a stop loss I think set around like eleven dollars per share. So I'm, I am ahead, but but yeah, the stocks, you know, it's it swung from it got up to like I think forty dollars per share, and then it's dropped down to below ten dollars per share over in like the last year. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, I I think a lot of your listeners have probably been hit hard on a lot of these uh, hype stocks, as you would call them, or the Reddit stocks, the <laughs> ones that you know uh, there's a lot of speculation about. But uh, I like to hope that we've hit a bottom. Uh, hopefully with everything going on with inflation and, you know, Russia, Ukraine. So I think this, this could be a good swing trade if you're into that. But, uh, but yeah, I, I don't plan to stay in it long if it's going to 
uh, reverse course back down below twelve dollars per share. So yeah, and, and one thing, I'll Daniel, keep my stop loss tight on it. <laughs> yeah, and Daniel, one thing before I let you go is the other thing too. It's very hard to understand what this company does, and that's why we like to buy simpler companies like food companies, insurance companies. It's it's hard to understand when you're talking about what they do with the software for the FBI and artificial intelligence and stuff. It's hard to kind of put your arms around that to understand what that does. So, so that's another thing I'd, I'd be cautious on is is hard to understand what they do. Yeah. So be careful there. Can, can I sneak one more in? Uh, uh, no. One more in AMD. Uh, no? <laughs> uh, unfortunately, we got people waiting, so so we got to let you go. It's but, okay. Uh, we'll be here next week. Give us a call next week on that one. Thanks a lot. I appreciate your help. Okay, Daniel. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, let's head out to uh, Temecula and speak with John. John, you're on the Smart Vegetable Brand. Chase, how can we help you? Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for being there. Uh-oh. Oh, I think we lost him. Is John there? Or is he dumb? Oh, okay. we don't. Okay, well, you, I, I, if John, are you still there? Or we want to talk about Tyson? Yeah, well, he, he was calling about Tyson. We're not sure what his comments are on it. He, he can call back maybe, and then we can kind of finish up with that. But let's look at Tyson for him so I have a pullback. That's, there he is right there. He's calling right now. So, uh, But uh, Tyson, uh, Tyson Foods, what he's calling about, uh, symbol is TSN. Uh, they're in the farm products, obviously a, a food company. Uh, is he back on air? You there, John? Yeah, I'm back. Yeah, okay. thank you. Sorry about that. No problem. Uh, so so you own sure. Tyson, looking at buying it. What are, what are your thoughts there? I do. You know, I, I bought Tyson at the at the dip uh, a while back, so I'm in the low 50s, and, and I've had a pretty good uh, dividend return on that over the last uh, you know year and a half, almost two years now. And I just think it's, it's hit its peak here, and I think there's a lot of um, false uh, – um, you know, future earnings here coming out. I think it's um, it's ready to come down off its high and just thinking maybe it's time to let it go. Well, let's take a look at the numbers here for you. There's not much uh, uh, short on the company. It's only 2.6. Uh, we, we do see institutional ownership 85.2. They still have a very good PE ratio of only 9.4 versus 15.1 for the industry. Uh, price to sales 0.7 versus 0.6. Price to book value 24.8, that's above the industry at 14.4, but price of cash flow looks good at nine versus 15.8, and a really very good pig ratio of 1.6 versus 7.4, again, telling you're not paying much for the future growth of this company. Now, the earnings were up uh, over the past year, 68% versus 50.1. Uh, the one-year sales growth, 14.5, uh, not quite as good as the industry at 38.5. The five-year estimated earnings per share growth from the analyst, 7.5, about the same as the industry at 8.1. You do get a nice dividend yield of 1.9%. What I like about this, they only use 17% of their earnings to pay that out. Uh, I do believe they could increase the dividend going forward, and I think we will see that from the company. Uh, we do see that uh, they've kept that dividend for over 10-plus years. Uh, looking at the balance sheet, current ratio 1.7, about the same as the industry at 2. Debt to equity is 0.5. That is better then the industry at uh, 0.7. Net profit margin, very good, 7.5 versus 4.4. Return equity, also good, 20.1 versus 14.4. Chase, what do you got for the company going forward? As a current price here for Tyson, $95.45. 52-week high, $100.72. And the 52-week low, well, that's $69.88. Had a great start to the year. Uh, as a kind of safer play, the uh, rising interest rates hasn't really impacted them as they're Stock price performance up 10.1% compared to the S&P down 7.6%. We know it's a large company, about $35 billion market cap. 
Now, if we go forward to September 2023, I see estimated earnings per share of $7.89. Gives us a target sell price of $130.97. So it's still what I would call a good value company. I, I will point out that uh, the there is an estimated decline in earnings year over year, which is something to, to kind of consider as it's estimated from 2022 to 2023 that they could fall 7%. I think a lot of that comes from the current pricing environment, and they know that they can't continue to increase prices right. beyond too far. Right. And, and and what we look at is that uh, the stock price around 95 over the next year is that, gosh, if that stock just goes like 104, 105, you add the dividend back on there, gosh, you, you get a 12% return, which we're pretty happy with. But you're, you're right. You won't see what you saw over the last year and a half. But I think it's a good whole company that, you know, again, you own a food company. I, I think it's a great company. So that's where we stand on it. And also, too, the five-year performance on this company has been pretty darn lackluster over the last five years is up just 67 percent i mean you look over the last 10 years up 522 percent so yeah the, they had a great five-year period a really poor five-year period what's the next five years going to look like uh i, I think it, it's still going to be a, a sound investment especially in the type of environment we're in right now where you know if we did hit a recession we have the rising interest rates i don't think a tyson foods is going to be impacted like a lot of these other high growth names. And yeah. I, in fact, I think could do quite well. Yeah, I'd, I would say it's a hold. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't put it a sell, but uh, not a buy either. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if I could comment too, just quickly on, you know, what you're talking about on inflation earlier, you know, um, I still don't think we're there, um, you know, just looking from the business perspective of what we're running, you know, we're, we're, we're expecting commodity costs of a, you know, 20% increase. We've already um, experienced about 10% labor increase you've got you know people selling properties to get rid of their either doing an exchange or you know, you know converting you know cap gains into into property and so so taxes have gone up on on all the property taxes and the pressures at the bottom end are are incredible and uh and the, the remnants of this lack of supply chain is going to carry i think into into the end of the year for sure um and i don't see a lot of relief in that um, really through the end of the year yeah, and from I, the business perspective side. Yeah. And I did say earlier in the show is that I, I think that has been eased somewhat, but now that China has shut down, that could come back as a problem. But right now you, you no longer hear about the ports of LA with all these ships that can't be unloaded. So I think we have had improvements. My hope is we continue to improve, but if China does stay closed much longer, that's going to revert back again. And the other thing too is if you know, my thing that I look at is if you have a month over month gain going forward now, let's just say 0.1, 0.2%, you're still having higher costs, but because you're lapping a 2% gain from last year, well, now you're not having a 8.5% growth in inflation. You're having, just, I'm going to call it a 7.5% right. gain in inflation. So I would agree. I, I don't think inflation is going anywhere, but I, I do think that uh, th those peak numbers, we maybe next month we hit nine percent or something, but I, I just I don't see it getting to double digit on the CPI at least. I mean, there, there's yeah. so many different measures that you got to look at, but uh, I just like to look yeah. at the CPI. Definitely, definitely div uh, difficult times here, John. So thanks for calling. Have a good one. Yep. Thanks you. You too. Bye. Bye bye. All right. Uh, let's go out to or up to Dana Point and speak with Carol. Carol, you're on the Smart Investor, Brent Chase. How yes. can I help you? Uh, I, th thanks for taking my call. Sure. I, I bought uh, SLV uh, Silver as a hedge against inflation. And um, I just want to know, uh, what do you think about it? Well, a couple of questions. Uh, how much of your portfolio does it make up uh, in your portfolio? Oh, maybe 
three, four, five percent. I got forty thousand dollars in it, so I don't okay. know. Oh well, that's a that's a pretty good amount. That's a, what we usually recommend about a five percent uh, uh, hedge there. Uh, silver and gold generally trade the same, and I don't know if we can kind of compare the two. Uh, I know we have, only have a few minutes left here. Uh, it makes sense because we do have inflation and so forth. The thing we have noticed is that it's not really on the gold, because we have a gold hedge is what we have. Uh, Got to be careful to talk about the returns on that uh, gold hedge. But uh, it's not really performed the way we thought it would based on inflation. Now, maybe it's kind of lagging. Maybe it will come. But we've had it for, what, six months now, Chase? It's been a while. I mean, I'm going to disagree with you. It's, what? it's done when it's... It hasn't spiked tremendously. Well, it, We've done well on it. We can't talk about I'm not. I'm not talking about performance numbers. <laughs> but but when compared to the amount that inflation has done, I, I, I was expecting a much larger move sure, sure. in gold and probably with your silver as well, and it's just not happened. So it could be coming, but I, I, I applaud you on, on taking that hedge there on, on silver, uh, Carol, but it, it's just so far it's not done much. Has, well, your, has, t- your today's yeah. silver is up about 11%. And which, gold's... Gold and gold year to date is up about eight point nine percent. Okay, so, so it's about the same. And, and comparatively to the stock market, I mean that that's that's done, or to the S and P five hundred that that's yeah. done well comparatively. So I think as an inflation <clears throat> hedge, it, it hasn't wowed by any means, but it, it's done its job. And one thing about silver that's interesting, this kind of got part of the Reddit hype last year. I'm mm-hmm. oh, it's gonna spike and do all. That. So over the last year, silver is actually down because it had this huge run up oh, from Reddit. Reddit. <laughs> but uh, it, it's now, if you looked at year to date, I think it's kind of back to a normal type inflation hedge. It's not part of the the craziness and the hype. So um, I, I I think it's starting to kind of peak. I don't see silver and right. gold going much higher. I, I think there's still maybe a little room left, but I, I'd say just be careful with it. And, and Carol, the hardest part about having a hedge like gold or silver is when do you take the hedge off? Because when we invest in companies, we do have a target sell price and so forth. With these hedges, you're not sure when when to get out. And I, and I think to let you know, I think we're we're talking about it. If we could find something we, we really like better to buy, we probably would sell our hedge. At this time, we continue to hold it. I'd say the same thing for silver, but it, it's not a long-term hold. Um, I would say, unless things change dramatically, uh, by the end of the year, your, your hedge should be gone. Yeah. Does that help you out? Well, what about the war thing? Does that affect it? it? I mean, it does to some degree. I mean, we did see a spike in gold <clears throat> when the when the war was announced, but that's kind of settled off. And, and, you know, gold is not always good for the war thing. You don't say, oh, buy gold because of, of, of war. You generally hear you buy it because of inflation and a class in the economy. So if those two are combined, that'd be yes. It appears to be, from what I'm seeing on the war side, is that uh, Ukraine seems to be doing pretty well. You hear this talk about, oh, Russia, you know, they're going to come in a lot stronger. But I, I, I just don't see a lot going on with the war. Uh, to well, one other question, because it's supposed to be an industrial metal. <laughs> and, I, you know, we, we have all this infrastructure money, and I don't know if that's going to affect it. I mean, I'm waiting for it to be put into use in, in silver, and I don't see that happening right now or yet and, that and is we a have good supposedly point. spent billions for uh, uh you know industrial use biden's budget there yeah and I, that. I, I don't know enough about what's how much silver is used i know generally copper and, and nickel and uh there's polonium i think is right. the other one that that's generally more uh economy driven so Sorry about that, Carol. We, we do have to close off. <laughs> well, that came quick, but yeah. thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for information purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. 
If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information on investment tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent Chase Wilsey. Thanks for listening to Smart Investing Show. We'll be back next week right here on Smart Investing. Have a great weekend. To think that I did all that.